So if you've got your Bibles with you, make sure you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. Well, I don't know if you're more of a reader or a movie watcher. Maybe both. It depends on the mood for myself and for our family. There are times when I really like to dig into a book, and other times I just like seeing it displayed on the screen. Well, in the 20th century, early 20th century, actually 80 years ago to date, writer, author, you may be familiar with named James Thurber, primarily published for both his cartoonist renderings and for his writings, was published in The New Yorker. Well, his most famous work was called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And you may be familiar with that story. It's of a, a very ordinary man who oftentimes would get lost in daydreams where there are things in his real life that would be accentuated or expanded upon where he would become the hero, in essence, of whatever situation it was. In 2014, that writing was actually made into a movie. You may have seen that as well. Ben Stiller, the one being starring in it, was at one point in the beginning of the movie on one of those train station rail waiting areas and began to daydream saw a burning building next to the train station, jumps off of this high rise where this railroad was into a window, crashes through the window, runs out, has this three-legged dog with him, sees the woman of his dreams, this woman that he had met at work, and she comes up and basically tells him, you are the man of my dreams, you rescued my dog, we are getting married and going to have a family, and it's already started with my dog. And so he, Walter Mitty, imagines all these incredible things that happen, and then it shows him two seconds later standing there, just staring off in the distance. And then someone trying to get his attention, Walter, snap out of it. And then it goes back to reality. Well, the, the interesting part of the movie, mo more so than just that unique story, was as the movie progressed, and as he began to do things in real life, not just imagining, which included some travel looking for this photographer as he was portrayed as working for Life magazine. The daydreaming became shorter and shorter, actually nullified to a great degree where he just was living his life out. Now, many of us, as well, if we were to admit it, uh, do at times daydream, possibly even putting ourselves as the hero of the story. We see something in the news or something at work or a relationship that we have and someone communicates something to us that I did it this way, but we, putting ourselves in their position, would see that we would actually do it much differently, being more confident, more loving, whatever the situation called for, that we could see ourselves doing it better than the individual or the story from whom we heard it. Well, Paul, with Timothy in his instruction, was challenging and encouraging Timothy the reality of the situation for this timid follower of Jesus, this one with whom Paul had invested the majority of his life, his ministry, looking for that to be replicated or even grown upon with Timothy, serving the church, leading the church, shepherding this group. He was challenging him to not look at this hero mentality, this becoming this extraordinary, this individual that could fly through windows and save whoever it was, but to continue and maintain a consistency in his calling from God. This ministry that he had called him to, striving for not only a Christ-centered life, but to be involved in life-giving community as well, providing opportunities for individuals with that. We too, at times, I think, in Midiesque 
fashion in looking at the days potentially ahead. We hear of persecution across the country in different places, but for the majority of us, actually engaging in so much relationally Jesus, sharing that with others, we have not come to the point where our lives have been threatened as of yet. A friend years ago that went on the mission field that actually was detained in an area for several hours where imprisonment looked like that would be the result. Continuing to stand for Jesus in this calling, this ministry, this mission trip that he engaged in, he held his ground, released, returned to the United States. God was good to him in particular, but for the most of us, the majority of us, we have not experienced that type of persecution. We may think that in the end times, when we read the book of Revelation and and this this scene appears where we stand before these guards and our faith is called into question, that in that moment, we would expect ourselves to stand for and hold to the name of Jesus regardless if we are followers of his. Even if, let's say, our families or closest friends were in a position where they were to be killed, were we not to renounce our faith, to say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, that even in that moment we would stand for him. I'm not saying that day will come to us. It is obvious at some point it will come to this United States, whether in our lifetime or another, unless Christ returns first. But if we won't in that moment, we think we would stand, we would hold to the name of Jesus We imagine ourselves doing so with our lives being taken. If we really believe that we would be in that position, as was Paul, just about to be executed for his faith, as was Timothy standing firm, what is our life representative of now? Do we go beyond conversationally with individuals, just every once in a while mentioning my church home is Blue Valley Baptist Church. Do we associate ourselves so much with Jesus that when people come into contact with us who know us, that they know the foundation of our life is Christ? If that is not the case for us, I would suggest that it is very foolish of us to assume that if our lives were ever called into account, were it not for holding to the name of Jesus, that our lives would be taken or others I don't see how in the world we could put ourselves in that position to think that that would be a natural outcome if our lives or those around us are called for were we not to deny the faith, if we are not even barely mentioning his name now or associating ourselves with him now. What does your life look like? How do people know you? Well, that's what Paul is going to talk to us about. Before we begin reading scripture, though, let's pray. So, Father, in this moment, I pray you would be with us that your word would challenge our lives to be Christ-centered, to love you first and love people second. Help us. Amen. All right, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 in its entirety. Then we're going to start going verse by verse. Verse 12, which I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day What has been trusted to me? Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among many of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So that first phrase, beginning in verse 12, actually is the completion of Paul's beginning thoughts in verse 8, calling out this suffering that he was enduring for the sake of Christ. Once again, at the hands of Nero, knowing that his death was imminent, it was very close, writing this letter to Timothy, reminding him that he was suffering for the sake of the gospel, and that, too, Timothy would suffer as he was suffering. He then continues and shares with him, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Well, that phrase, entrusted to me, has been in question uh, over the centuries. What exactly was Paul communicating to Timothy? Some would say he is talking solely, strictly about his salvation, about being sealed by the Holy Spirit once salvation took place, that no man could separate him from the love of God. And so uh, some would say in this uh, writing that Paul was telling Timothy not only was he confident in his salvation, uh, that one day he would see Christ face to face, because he'd surrendered his life, because that was a guarantee, and two, for Timothy. But others would say that he was actually talking about his ministry, not just being entrusted with salvation, with this relationship with Jesus, but that he was being entrusted with the ministry God had specifically called him to. Timothy, in this instance, shepherding the church, leading, pastoring, and Paul bringing great encouragement, having done the same, planting churches all over. This entrustedness that God had given both of these in their calling. Well, I would argue that it's not one or the other. I would say it is both. The confirmation, salvation, that God was guarding that deposit, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, that Paul and Timothy both know God, knew God, currently are with God in heaven because of their passing long ago. And that this ministry that Christ had entrusted to both of them, that he would continue to be faithful to himself. We'll see in chapter 2 in later weeks that God is faithful. Even if we remain faithless or are faithless, he cannot disown himself. God will remain faithful to us. And so in so, Paul was telling Timothy, encouraging Timothy, remember, this is based on God's work and his presence in your life. This is not based on anything that you personally do. It's all based on the work of Christ and on him who is in you. It had to have brought great courage and confidence to Timothy's heart as he read that. We then see in verse 13 that he was calling out Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that he had heard from him in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Interesting also to note 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love is love. Two of the three being mentioned here, him once again providing encouragement in the life of Timothy. There is a study important for us as we continue to consider the spiritual disciplines to uh, spend time with God in his word, 
devoted prayer life, to have isolation times where it's just us with him, fasting, the other pieces sharing our faith that go along with abiding in Christ, knowing him, sound patterns, these building blocks that have been produced in our lives because of those who have invested in us, whether it be Sunday school teachers, pastors, possibly someone individually discipling discipling you, spending time with you. We are called to follow the sound words, the pattern of this teaching in our lives, these building blocks, but we can't forget The goal of our lives is not to build this extremely iron-tight, sound doctrine solely. The goal of our lives is to fall more and more in love with Jesus. Him working in us and through us, drawing us closer to himself, not being dependent on our own strengths, skills, and giftedness. Actually, the opposite of that. We know the world says that to have success, you have to be self made, self-sufficient, don't depend on anyone else. You are the one creating your own environment and success will come as a result. Paul was telling Timothy, reminding him, we are called to a life of dependence on Jesus. More of him, less of us, not independence. The opposite of what the world screams is true. And as we do that, as we cling more to him, as his word becomes more of an integral part of our lives, these building blocks that are built, we will have sound doctrine. We will know the truth. And we know in John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you you free. Holy moly, that was dangerous. (laughs) We are called to this sound doctrine in our lives. And then we see from where we gain the power. Verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Not just the deposit Paul had made in Timothy's life, but the deposit of Christ in his life. John 12, 26 is a great reminder for us, especially in the area of dependence. Whoever loves his life, her life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And of course, our entire lives, the goal is to bring glory to God. If we've surrendered our lives to him, he is the paramount. The fact that God of the universe loves us and wants a relationship with us is still extremely humbling and hard to grasp. In a conversation between Dallas Willard and Gordon Crosby, Willard responded to questions about vision with the following. The vision of God and of oneself in God inspires a combination of humility and great aspiration for God. This combination leads to remarkable efforts in dependence upon God. Great effects are achieved because God acts with efforts made in dependence upon him And for his sake, the effects take on a life of their own. Surrounding people see nothing but the effects, which indeed are very remarkable and worthy of support. Sometimes the human support may also be of God, but the effects of all this have to be carefully watched to prevent them from corrupting the heart away from an appropriate vision of God and the humble valor flowing therefrom. And this is a great example of that. He begins to talk about this biblical uh, life 
from the Old Testament. King Solomon began well. He knew about God, at least from his association with his father David. And he understood he could not carry out his work by himself. He prayed for wisdom and knowledge. God gave it to him. He became very great. If it's been a while since you studied that part of his life, 2 Chronicles chapter 9 is a great chapter for you to read. But to strengthen his position, he formed alliances through marriage with royalty of many nations, and his 700 wives turned his heart away from Jehovah to worship their gods. If you're wondering where that is, that's 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning of the chapter. By the time he died, he had evolved a government that was bitterly oppressive, with the people ready to rebel, and he had a son to rule after him who was a fool. I don't know of another individual that had a better setup walking into life to know God, to follow him, and to lead others to know him too, to establish kingdom-making difference than Solomon. God answering his prayer for wisdom and knowledge. But even of the greatest, in not choosing to be obedient to the call of God in his life, rebelling and rejecting against God, he made the decision that he would marry himself with all the other nations to politically make them a stronger, more vibrant, more powerful political position ruler. And it cost him. It cost his son. It cost the kingdom. All of us should know that we too were it not for the grace and mercy of God, are prone to do heinous things. Even what we would consider to be little sin. Though the Bible clearly speaks of sin and what it is. We are all capable of doing amazingly rebellious things to God. Solomon, great example for us to learn from. Solomon who refused to be dependent upon God for all. Our calling, however, is different in what Solomon lived out. We are called to be more dependent, not independent. We're called to be Christ-centered. Next, we're called to live in community. These verses oftentimes probably are just glanced over and the truth of the relationship that we're called to in life is missed. Let's read verses 15 through 18 again. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So these two individuals, who apparently at some point were extremely supportive of the work that both Paul and Timothy did, turned their backs on, went against, caused disruption with, by drawing others out with them, radically brought harm to both Paul and Timothy, turning away. Now, it doesn't see, say that these two turned away from the faith, that they denied Christ. And we don't want to read that into it, but we do see the damage that they were doing and had been so in their lives, abandoning Paul, abandoning Timothy. It would be good for us to remember at this point, before we continue with these verses, that we all have layers of relationship. None of us are guaranteed to have relationships with individuals 
who will stay with us through the duration of it. Look at Jesus. Look at the 12. We know we've talked about this. Even one of the closest who knew that man intimately, Judas Iscariot, turned his back on, rejected, handed him over, later hanged himself as a result of this weight of sin. We too will have individuals who will turn on us. It is a part of the Christian life, but it doesn't mean that we're to shrink back from building relationships. And I can count on my hands the numbers of those in my life where that has taken place. But scores, numerous are those of whom we read of next. May the Lord grant mercy, verse 16, to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So here is this picture of these two that abandoned him. And then we see Onesiphorus and his entire household and how he sought after finding Paul in spite of the consequences that may come, aligning himself with this follower of Jesus, this planner of churches, this kingdom investment individual. He didn't care if Nero found out. He didn't care what prison systems knew he was looking for him. He so wanted to find Paul for the sake of refreshing, encouraging him that he put his very life at risk. On my hands in my lifetime, people that have come against 